Hey everybody, uh, welcome again to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris, if I haven't met you, uh, that means you might be new. And uh, if you are new, a very special welcome to you. We're very happy that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time or one of your first times, if you consider yourself a guest, um, please do let me know or someone else that looks like they know roughly what they're doing here, know how we can serve you. Uh, I would love to get to know you. Um, we would love to get to know you. Um, we really do want this place, Nathaniel says it at the beginning, um, we do want this to be a community of students where you feel like regardless of where you are, that you can come here and you can hear what the Bible says, you can process this stuff at your own pace. Uh, because if there's one thing that all of us need in here, it's God's grace, and so we should have grace with one another. So whether you're Christian, non-Christian, not sure, kind of not sure, really not sure, um, you're welcome here. So uh, it's really good to see all of you. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians this semester, which is in the New Testament, and um, we call the series Boring and Beautiful, because basically what we're doing is we're seeing like this great, amazing, redemptive plan of God, and then he sort of brings it down and says, this is how it's worked out, and it's all church and relationships and parents and all the boring stuff, right? Uh, but I've been trying to pitch to you that that's where God's at work, is in the boring, sort of mundane parts um, of your lives. So tonight we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, which is fitting because we were in Ephesians chapter 2 last week, and so we're going on with the next couple of verses. Um, last week, if you were here, you remember, I said, God bless you. Um, you'll remember that I asked a question at the beginning, which is not something I usually do, but I asked what you guys thought was the biggest problem on campus. And um, whoever said FOMO, that was the best possible answer. I think that was you know. So, do you say FOMO? Uh, that is probably the biggest problem on campus, fear of missing out. You said that, Angela. Thank you. Um, but I was really surprised when I asked you guys what you thought the biggest problem on campus was that nobody said inequality. Like, no one said gender inequality, sexual orientation, racial, economic, educational. No one said anything like that, which is really surprising. Because if there's one thing our campus is about, it's equality, right? Um, and that's a good thing, right? That's why you guys came here to do social work or education or just sustainable development or social work. Um, all my social work peeps out there. Um, and regardless of where you fall on like any of those issues of whatever inequality, um, it's, it's obvious that there are winners and losers in the world, right? Like, there's people at the top, there's people at the bottom, there's people in the circle, there's people outside the circle. There's elite people and non-elite people, or, as we like to say around here, ambassadors and non-ambassadors. Uh, I'd like to congratulate our newest REF members of the ambassadors. Um, thank you, guys. The cream of the crop of the Mountaineers. Um, there are elite people and there are non-elite people. There is not equality in the world. And what we've been seeing from the beginning of this book is that because of sin, there's two big problems. One of them we looked at last week is that we're alienated from God, like we're spiritually dead. We can't be with God even if we want to, uh, which we wouldn't want to because we're dead. And we need God to resurrect us. But the other big problem that sin has brought is it's alienated from us from each other. That we're isolated from each other. That somehow our relationships don't work like they're supposed to, which can be a beautiful thing because then Friday Night Lights exists which is all about relationships not working, of course. Um, but uh, alienation and inequality isn't just a racial issue. It isn't just an education issue. It's not an opportunity issue. It's not a gender issue. It's not a sexual issue. Uh, it's much deeper than that. 
Actually, all of those things are just symptoms of the alienation that we feel sort of inside from one another. Um, that our relationships aren't work, that we can't connect in the way that we want to, and that we're really insecure about how we connect with each other. If you don't believe me, just say you're throwing a Sadie Hawkins dance, and then just watch the insecurity just <laughs> flood the room. Uh, am I going to get asked? Yeah. Uh, uh, if I ask him, will he say no? If I ask him, will he say yes, but then secretly want to go with someone else? Oh, I know. It is, it's hard. Um, what will I do then? And we feel like this, this insecurity about our relationships and our connections with each other. Uh, freshmen, you're especially feeling this probably right now as you came back this semester or remember back to when you were a freshman. And you came to school with like thousands of people that are exactly like you. You know, like, they pretty much made the same grades, they're the same age, they're, most of them are from North Carolina, right? And you all come in together, and so if there's anyone that should understand what you're going through, it's the people in your own freshman class, right? Because they're in exactly the same place in life as you are. Yet, when we've gotten together this semester, you feel lonely, you feel isolated, you've struggled to connect and make friends. Uh, So the question for us as we come to this text isn't, whether we feel alienated and isolated from each other, because it just is the case. If I said, think about a relationship you have where you feel alienated from the person, everybody immediately could probably think of someone. The question isn't if we're alienated from one another, it's what does God think about that? Does he care about that? And if he cares about it, what's he going to do about our alienation from each other? So we're going to be in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, which is on the screen. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, Listen, this is the word of the living God. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's God's word. Let's ask God's blessing on it. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Um, It has been read, and we confess that that's enough for you to work through it, for you to change us, for you to open our eyes and our ears, that we would see Jesus. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, But Lord, we ask that you would come to us now by your Spirit. Bless Uh, the reading and the teaching of your word uh, for your glory. And Lord, draw us near to yourself and draw us near to one another. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.
So uh, last week, a little water. Playing that drum really stresses me out. Um, last week we looked at the beginning of Ephesians two, and we saw that our problem is that we're spiritually dead, and God's solution was to resurrect us. And this week I want to look at a problem and a solution too. The problem being we are alienated from one another. And God's solution being um, reconciliation by the cross in the church. So the problem, we're alienated from one another. The so God's solution is reconciliation by the cross in the church. So our problem, um, we're alienated from each other. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the churches in and around a place called Ephesus. And in this place was mostly Greek people or Gentile people. And you're like, okay, whatever. Basically, that just means that they weren't Jewish. Uh, they had, did not become Christians out of the Jewish faith, but instead were Gentile believers. And they had come to be a Christian um, out of that. And the thing about uh, Jewish and Gentile people is that they did not get along. Maybe you recognize this is still happening, right, in the Middle East. It's a problem that you've perhaps heard of. Um, but call, Paul is calling them to remember something. He says in verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Jewish people and Gentile people, bad relationship, didn't get along. They actually were totally separated. And if you were a Jewish person and you were worshiping, you would have recognized that there was a certain amount of people that weren't allowed to come in. They worshiped at the temple in Jerusalem. And so there's a temple in the middle where the worship's happening. And then there's these concentric circles of courtyards going out from the temple. And uh, what keeps these courtyards apart is actually literally thick stone walls. And the farthest one from the middle, i.e. the farthest one from God, is called the court of the Gentiles. So that if you were a Gentile person, if you were not ethnically Jewish, you had to worship God from in there. You didn't go in. So you were literally not only separated from God, but separated from other people. You were separated from other believers. You were not able to go in. And what's funny at the beginning there, Paul says, uh, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision. That was actually a slur. Um, it's like equivalent to the N-word. That not only were they outside, apart, separated, not let in, not accepted, but they are actually mocked and derided by the Israelites. Um, so they're mocked. They're called slurs. They have to sit in the back. Probably sounds somewhat familiar uh, to us, lest we think this is just some ancient history here. And this, I mean, just imagine that you were one of these people. And you're in this courtyard. You want to worship God, but you can only go so far. You have to be separated from the rest of the people and from God. Imagine what that would do to you in your mind and in your heart. Okay, so now imagine that you came to RUF tonight and you don't know anybody. And just imagine that that might be a similar feeling. Uh, or imagine that you came to RUF tonight and you aren't a Christian. And if that's you, if you, if you come tonight and for some reason you feel like you have been excluded... Um, that it's been either told to you specifically or in general that you're sort of not allowed to come into the center of the circle, uh, if you've been mocked in some way. Um, first off, if uh, myself or this group has played a part in that, I'm very sorry. Uh, I really am sorry. Um, 
But if that's you and you have felt excluded or you've been excluded um, and you want to be accepted like we all do, where are you going to find that acceptance from? If you felt excluded and you feel really tangible that you want to be accepted, where are you going to find it? Um, So that's my question for you if you're sort of new or you feel on the outside. Um, But this isn't just a racial issue. It's not an economic issue. Like I said, this is a fundamental issue that we all deal with. We all feel isolated. We all feel like we can't quite break into the center uh, of the circle. It's a worldwide phenomenon. We all want to be insiders. But not everybody can be an insider, right? Uh, Brene Brown, uh, who Jen put some of her videos on Facebook, and some of them watched it, because then some of you want to meet with me and talk about it, um, which is great. But Brene Brown is a researcher and like a public speaker at the University of Houston. And the thing that she researches is why people struggle to connect with each other. Like, you maybe feel that. There is, a, there is at least a dozen relationships in your life where you're like, I'm really struggling to connect with this person in the way that I want to. Um, but she studies that. That's her job. And what she's come up with is the thing that keeps us from connecting with each other is shame. And she defines shame as basically, I believe there's something about me that if other people found it out, they would tell me that I wasn't worthy of connecting with them. Do you follow that? That there's something about me that if someone really got to know me, they would reject me. Like when they really get to know you, they'll all run, right? And that's how we feel. And so we struggle to connect with people because, as you know, we all talk about community and connection and want to be real with each other, right? Um, we all talk about it. None of us do it, of course, but we all talk about wanting to be very real with each other. Um, if you want to connect with someone, you have to let them in. Like, you have to be vulnerable enough with someone to say, here's what's going on with me, right? But we're afraid because if we let them in and they see what's in there, if we let them into our dirty room and they see what's in there, they might not want to come back, Right? Um, so what we spend most of our time on, we talked about this last week too, but probably the place where you spend most of your time and most of your money, because it's the place where I spend most of my time and most of my money, is hiding. Is being the person that you want me to be, and you being the person that someone else wants you to be, so that maybe you could sneak into the center of the circle, right? And you'll be so well hidden that everyone will think that you belong there, and no one will cast you out. The secret is that there's no one in the middle of the circle, just so you know. Um, but we, we spend all of our money hiding because we're so insecure that we're afraid that someone is going to reject us and tell us that we're not worthy of connecting with them. Uh, I know this, and I know it's universal because I have literally talked to two girls in the same day. One who told me that she thought she would never be loved because she doesn't look good enough, and the other one that told me that she thought she would never be loved for anything other than how she looks. Okay? So the one thinks she's beautiful and won't be loved, and the other one thinks that she's ugly and she won't be loved. Uh, it's a universal insecurity, okay? Can we just all just breathe that in and be like, I'm going to be okay with that? Um, the fact that we have shame, and it keeps us from connecting with other people. And so we hide, and we hide from each other. We hide the things about ourselves that we don't want to, and we hide from God. We think, I will show God part, I will confess things, that are okay, but not the things that I think God would cast me out of the kingdom for, right? So I'll I'll confess something, so I'm the person that confesses and is real, um, because I want people to think that I'm the person that's real, but I won't really be real, or else you won't like me. You see where we're going with this? I'm sure you feel it. 
Uh, we do it with each other and with God. And the question for us is really the same one I just asked a, a second ago. Where are you going to go to get that acceptance? If you want it that bad, and we all want it, this must be you know, the human dilemma, right? That we're all working towards being accepted and loved and vulnerable for who we really are. Because all of us deeply desire to be totally honest with somebody and to know that they won't leave us. That's what we all, all want. Where are you going to get it? Or, better question, where are you currently trying to get it? Uh, if we were real, I mean, a lot of us in here are Christians, so we say, well, that only comes from God, right? And that's true, and we're going to talk about that. But functionally, we're trying to see if we can get it from another person. It's like, well, I know God says that, but that doesn't feel very real. So I'm going to try you out and see if you can do that for me. Uh, I can tell you that's the truth because I'm married, and I try to my wife all the time. Can I be totally vulnerable with her and tell her literally everything and know for sure that she won't leave me? No. If you're trying to find that in a person, you are never going to find it. Besides the fact that if you told them everything, they would legitimately have reason to leave. Uh, And the other thing being, you could never really be that vulnerable. I mean, you just don't even know everything about yourself. Uh, When I was in seminary, uh, I was pretty insecure about whether or not I was actually called to ministry. Sometimes when I stand up here, I feel exactly the same way. And, um, <laughs> and I, can, I can really tangibly remember sitting in the library and thinking to myself, if this one older Christian man in my life called me right now, or texted me, it could be a text, and told me, I'm proud of you, and you're where you're supposed to be, that it would be okay. Like, I would be able to make it, and I would be affirmed enough to keep on going. Uh, Do you realize how sick that is to put that on another person? That's terrible. If you put those expectations on someone else, you will crush them. Some of you have been broken up with for this reason. Because you expected the other person to fulfill you and accept you, and they just can't do it. We can't find it in another person. So where do we go? Where can we go? You guys are probably guessing where we're going to go with this, but that's okay. That's the problem. What's God's solution? A reconciliation by the cross in the church. Paul tells them the bad news, but then he does this. Remember last week, we we're like, the two sweetest words in the Bible are but God, right? Because like, otherwise we're just left, but then God comes in and he does something. Paul kind of does the same thing here in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen to what he says Christ is doing. You were far off and you've been brought near. You were alienated and isolated. You've been brought close to Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and reconcile us both to God in one body, thereby killing hostility. That's a lot of words. Basically what it means is this. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we can be reconciled to God and also reconciled to one another. What he's saying is the cross is the solution. All the things that you are afraid to admit to yourself and afraid to admit to other people, what we're calling shame and guilt, Jesus knows that stuff. 
And when we say Jesus died for our sin, we don't just mean that he died for some ethereal sense to satisfy God. All the things that you're really ashamed of that you know about yourself, that's what he was taking care of on the cross. Even the things that you're ashamed of and you don't even know what it is, but you're like, it's not right. Jesus took it to the cross and we do. He killed it. He actually killed it on the cross. All of your shame and all of your guilt. And then what happens then is a great equalizing effect. Uh, this, is, this is what happens. Um, we come to Jesus by the cross. It's like the little gate, right? And Jesus says there's a narrow gate. It looks like a cross. Because in the world, like I said, there's winners and losers. Uh, got that from Scott Fuller. There's winners and losers in the world. There's people on the top, people on the bottom. But in front of the cross, there are no winners and losers. There are no people on top and on bottom. There are no people on the inside, people on the outside. The ground is extremely level in front of the cross. It's totally equal in front of the cross. Because what happens when we come to Jesus on the cross is we're forced to admit that we need something. We're forced to admit that everything isn't okay. We're forced to admit that there's things about us that we don't want to talk about. Because we're afraid of being rejected. And we come to Jesus, we come on our knees and we say, Lord, please, please, please give mercy to me. And we close our eyes and we get on our knees in front of the cross. And then suddenly we look up. And the hostility that we felt with one another and we felt with God is gone. Because remember I said you can't put those expectations on a person. And a person can't know you. My wife will never know me completely. That's okay. I'll never know her completely. The Lord God is the only person that knows you completely. He knows things about you that you don't know. He knows things about you that you've suppressed and put away because you never want to think about it again. And all those things that he knows and all that shame, he looks at you from the cross and he smiles. And he says, I'm so glad that you're here. I never want you to go away again. I'm not disappointed with you. Everything that would have made me disappointed with you and made me cast you away is gone. It's been killed. Please come here. I want you to know me. And I want to be here with you, and I accept you completely with all that crap. I accept you. There's no longer any hostility with God. And please, don't you see now why you just cannot expect that out of a person? A lot of you guys are going to get married. A lot of you guys have really close friends, like lifetime friends. If you start expecting that from them, you will become what we call codependent. That's not good. Uh, They will end up pushing you away and you will crush them. But here's the other thing that happens at the foot of the cross. We realize that suddenly the person that can't accept us does. And then we look around and realize, hey, it's not really so bad over here, right? I've hit the bottom. I took this from someone else, but another campus minister was talking about a girl getting dumped and coming to his house. Okay. Some of you have been broken up with because of these very reasons, right? And uh, you know, the girl's crying. And, you know, the, the, really the hard part about a breakup is that it forces you to think, you're like, there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not the most desirable person on the earth. Uh, and suddenly you have to think, is what the person thinks about when they're like, it's not, it's not you, it's me, but you really know that means it is you. Okay. Um, it's not you, it's me not liking you. Um, uh, 
But suddenly, this girl that he was meeting with, she said, you know what? Like, I just took the opportunity to say, like, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not amazing. And then there's things about me that someone would legitimately not like. And, like, once I hit the bottom, I realize the bottom feels pretty good. It's totally flat and equal down here. And it's pretty firm, you know? I could stand on it. When we get to the foot of the cross, that is basically what we find. It's totally equal. It's a complete equalizer. So if you're fighting for equality on campus, whether it's racial, ethnic, gender, sexuality, whatever it is, what do you have that can equalize people like the cross? Like everyone having to come to it and go, uh, go, I'm screwed up and I need help. You might have something. Please tell me what it is that can equalize people that much. That can bring everybody to the same playing ground. Uh, In the new society that God is bringing in in Jesus, uh, isolation and hostility are replaced by reconciliation and peace. Because suddenly we're all in need of the same Jesus. And we're all on the same level. We've all been knocked down. And this new society... Maybe you guys want to get a piece? It's called the church. And everybody was suddenly disappointed. <laughs> Listen to what he says. That he's made us both one. He wanted to create in himself one new man in place of two. Bring everybody together into one body. To reconcile us to God in one body through the cross. And we'd be fellow citizens of the household of God. Fellow citizens of of the household of God. The church is a body of people that have one thing in common. They desperately need Jesus. That's what unifies the church. That's what brings us together. And God is showing us that that is the primary place in this life where you are going to find that acceptance that Jesus is bringing. The primary place you're going to find it is in the church. And I don't necessarily mean big C church. I mean little C church. Like in Boone church. Okay? In Boone church, you're going to find that. Uh, Wes Hill um, is, is an author, and he struggles with his uh, sexual orientation, where he's at. And, uh, and he's a Christian. And so he writes, and so there's a bit of turmoil in his life, right? And um, uh, he writes and he talks about how every social situation that he's ever been in, he feels like there's a glass wall between him and the people that he's with. Because he believes um, that he will never be able to have that kind of acceptance and connection with another person that these other people are having with each other. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe you feel like that right now. Uh, That there's a glass wall. I will never be able to have this life-giving connection that these other people are having. Um, because what he was trying to do, what he, in his mind, he thought, I will get that from a person, right? But I can't find the person. I'm conflicted. But he wrote this. And this really, I mean, this um, brought me to my, to my knees for sure. One of the most surprising discoveries I made is that the New Testament views the church rather than marriage uh, as the primary place where human love is best expressed and experienced. 
The answer to loneliness is not marriage, but rather the new creational community that God is calling into being in Christ, the church, marked by mutual love as it is led by the Spirit of Christ. If you are a Christian, the place where you are going to find immediate connection, immediate love, is in the church. And I know some of you are like, but I've been to church. Okay? It's not like that. You haven't been to my church. Um, what Paul is telling us here is if we want to experience that, y'all, uh, it's got to be in the church. So a couple of implications. Well, actually, he says right there at the end, I love the last verse, verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's making all of us one person. So we have to connect. We have to connect with each other on a really deep level because Jesus, by his spirit, is going to come and live there. Okay, so a couple of implications. You may be thinking, yeah, but the church is full of a bunch of bigoted, self-righteous hypocrites who really talk a big game but never follow through with it. And you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. We got room for one more. We got room for one more. Because be honest with yourself. Are you really all that consistent? And if not, if you're not a consistent person, which means you're a person, where are you going to find acceptance, even though you're inconsistent and a hypocrite and self-righteous and a bigot? Where are you going to find acceptance? From a bunch of other people? that are pretending like everything's okay, or with a bunch of people that are like, yeah, me too. If you're going to reject the Christian faith because the church is hypocritical, uh, where are you going to go to find equality? What has the resources to give equality? Where are you going to go to find acceptance and love for who you really are? And where are you going to go to find people that say the most life-giving words? Me too. (coughs) Tell me where you're going to find it. Because the church isn't a country club, y'all. The church isn't a place where everyone comes looking good, feeling good, ready to get my week started. Bam, bam. (laughs) The church is a field hospital in the middle of a war. And the only reason why those people are there together is because they're all wounded. Could you go? You got something better than that. And if you're a Christian... And you hear someone go, yeah, but you guys are hypocrites. Or you go to your church and you're like, man, this just kind of feels sucky. Um, Can you believe what Jesus says instead of how you feel? Are you free enough in going, yeah, you know what? I'm going to connect here because I'm going to take Jesus on his word. Are you going to still keep trying to find it? And your boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend. Where we find connection with each other and with the living God is in the church. Do you love it? We'll flush it out some more. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us to remember who we are in Christ. Thank you for your church. She is a mess. Uh, She is inconsistent. She needs to change. Lord, would you use us for your glory knowing that one day your church is going to be presented to you and she's going to be beautiful and dazzling and sparkling and clean. 
Lead us to your church that we might find life. In Christ's name, amen.